listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 32 of the Testudo Times podcast, where I regret to inform you, the great listeners and readers of Testudo Times, that Illinois and, Illinois and Rutgers are about to play a seventh overtime. Joining me to uh, lament this horrible development for the uh, growth of human society, Dave Tucker, uh, what would you do if Illinois and Rutgers actually went to seven overtimes, a la Syracuse and Connecticut? Those I was six overtimes, but close enough. I don't know. I might have had to gone outside and gone on like a 10 mile run or something because it sure seemed like it was going to keep going and going and going. I would have gone down to the local general store and bought a pack of cigarettes. I'm fiercely anti-smoking, but I think I would have needed a couple. I think Smoking I is bad for you, Matt. Don't do I, that. I don't think I know that, but I think I would have needed a couple or would have gone to the, uh, would have gone to the fridge. That would have been quicker. Uh, Ryan, you have had a long day today. We're recording this right after the Nebraska game. So you had is there a basketball game tonight? Apparently there was, yes. Now, we apologize for the many of you that might not have seen the first 15 minutes of this game. We have the advantage being on campus that btn to go is actually free, which is quite nice on campus Wi-Fi. I don't know why you wouldn't exploit that massively if you're on Maryland's campus all the time. But anyway, uh, I have more bad news for you, though, Ryan. Did you see the news about what's happening with the dining halls? What is happening? I did. They're doing they're- – um, removing to-go boxes and they're putting in palm scanners. What are you going to be stealing from the dining halls that require? Wait, what are they doing? So, all right, they to get into the dining hall now, they will scan your palm. This is starting next year, but this is what, according to a Diamondback article. Wait, so what if I wanted to go to the dining hall? Uh, you have to pay an upfront to get in, like you basically like you would now, but whatever it is. My favorite thing is they're actually going to scan your hand. What the heck are they going to do with that information, and why do they need it so you can go get crappy pizza and chicken tenders? I don't know. Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll upgrade the food. I don't know. How do they have money to buy palm scanners? I didn't even know that. We have no money. I mean, I know the Big Ten was supposed to be a boon for us, but how do they have enough money to buy the same sort of scanners that you need to get into the Pentagon? I, I don't get that. Although my personal favorite is, they're eliminating to-go boxes. I have no idea what in their right mind would command them to do such a thing. The environment, mostly, actually. They, they, end, up, they end up wasting a lot of substantially effed anyway, and most people use reusable to-go boxes. I don't get that at all. But I, I'm sorry. I'm not a very social person. This isn't really saying anything new to those of you who actually know me in real life, but I'm sorry, even the most social people don't want to sit in the dining halls and talk to weird people next to them that you'll never see again. Well, uh, I guess the only solution is just to move on to the basketball game. No, the only solution is to buy a lot of ramen. That's actually the solution. And it's cheaper than buying uh, food at the dining hall, actually. Probably, Probably not as good for you. No, it probably isn't, but then again, eating some of the food at the dining hall also isn't very good for you, but uh, regardless of whatever whatever that is, let's talk about the basketball game, which was about the equivalent of dining hall pizza, including the part where you didn't see the first 15 minutes of it because Illinois and Rutgers played the worst basketball game ever, extended for an extra 15 minutes because God hates you when he shows it to Illinois and Rutgers playing basketball. Anyway... Maryland played Nebraska tonight. It's the first game we'll talk about. We're only talking about basketball on this show. We will have a recruiting show in the near future, next couple of days. We'll talk about all of the recruits and DJ Dirk and everything you want to hear on that. So 
hold off for now. But on the subject of this game, Maryland had 13 blocks. They out-rebounded Nebraska substantially. They outshot Nebraska substantially. And yet this never felt comfortable. Maryland never had a lead larger than six. Uh, people were panicking, Dave, and they had the right to because this was very bad for Maryland in one sense. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways to look at Maryland's win tonight. On one hand, they shot 51% from the field. They out-rebounded Nebraska by eight. Uh, They did a lot of things really, really well, but they turned the ball over 18 times, including 13 times in the first half. Nebraska turned the ball over just six times. So... You can look at that as Maryland can overcome turning the ball over 18 times. Uh, and you can also look at it that turnovers normally are something that you can correct as a team. And Maryland has five and a half weeks before tournament time starts to make a correction. And if they can make a correction, then that just makes them an even more uh, talented and uh, hard to stop team. I mean, if if they cut down on their tur- if they even cut their turnovers in half from what they did tonight, then they're just going to be really really hard to stop, especially if they're playing as well as they did otherwise. I should also mention Maryland was not great at the free throw line tonight. Varun Rob took three th- three free throws. That might give you kind of an idea of why that happened. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Ryan. The turnovers are something, if you've watched Maryland basketball, you know Maryland turns the ball over a ton. That's not new. But tonight, they just seem to come at inopportune times when it looked like Maryland was going to finally break away. Nebraska does not have the talent to keep up with the Terps. Even at home, they don't. And Maryland just kept letting them get back into the game when it just, Maryland should have blown them out. At least it felt like it when we have all those numbers that Dave presented earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think the... Biggest thing, I, I don't know. Without turnovers, Maryland, if Maryland did t- cut its turnovers in half, like Dave said, this is probably at least a 15-point win. But uh, I don't know. I guess the oddsmakers knew something. I think Nebraska was only – Maryland was only favored by six points. But uh, I, I don't think the turnovers were poorly timed because I just think they were all the time. Like they were happening when you didn't want them to, and they were also happening just at every other time in the game. It's true, but turnovers are never good whenever they happen. But sometimes it felt like they were coming when Maryland was starting to build some momentum and starting to look like, okay, they're finally going to pull away now. And they just never seemed to do that. Some players that we should talk about. The first player I want to talk about is Jared Nickens, who we're actually talking about on this podcast. That's kind of rare. First time he scored in double digits since UMES back in December. That's good news for Maryland. He finally started to hit some threes in the first half. That's great news. Maryland needs secondary scoring. The guard depth is poor, as we know. Dave, if Jared Dickens can start finding his form, I think we've said this a lot about Maryland's depth. If they can start finding some scoring from the backcourt that isn't from Trimble and Suleiman, they can start to really show how good they are. Tonight, they finally got some of it for once. Yeah, I mean, it was great to see uh, Nickens kind of getting off to a hot start. I mean, he had some really important threes in the first half, um, especially when the lead was going back and forth. And you know, he is he has not been able to score as easily as I think he was earlier in the season. And some of that can probably be attributed to the fact that a lot of what he's doing is just spot up shooting from beyond the but that's what he's really good at i mean yeah it's definitely what he's really good at he showed a little more 
um, uh, a little more um, diversity in his shot selection tonight. And he finished with uh, 11 points. Um, he had a shot that he made that was not a three-pointer, which is good to see. And I think if he can continue to do that and show that he's just not a one-trick pony, that's really going to help Maryland with their guard death because when Suleiman or Trimble gets in trouble, uh, especially foul trouble, or they're not making shots, Maryland's offense is really kind of stymied. And you saw that tonight when Suleiman picked up his second foul with something like 11 minutes left in the first half. And they didn't really have a uh, an answer to having Suleiman on the bench. Vroom Rahm came in, and he played something like seven minutes in the first half, but he's not really a scoring threat. I mean, he, he did attempt some free throws, but you, you don't have that same kind of scoring production that you do when Suleiman's out there. And Maryland really needs to have someone that can step up because without – having Dion Wiley, they're, they're really limited at the guard position. And for whatever reason, we're not seeing um, a lot of Brantley. Um, again, he, he played some tonight, but um, we're just not seeing him get significant minutes like I think a lot of us thought he would be, especially at this point in the season. I don't think we really have an answer to that. I don't know if Mark Turgeon's given a clean reason for that. We know he likes Varun Rong for his defense, but... He, he, as a, a friend of mine said, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's kind of like you're playing 4v5 on offense because you know Ruben Rahm's not going to score. We saw him short a couple of free throws. Uh, Ryan, what's the biggest issue with the guard? We've talked a lot about the guard depth issues, especially now with the foul trouble. And Maryland's guards don't usually get into foul trouble. That's not something we see. But they were a little bit sloppy with fouls tonight. They got into early foul trouble in the first half, and it caused them a lot of problems. Uh is that that's something else that they absolutely have to work on because they're deep enough in the front court where they can overcome it, but not in the back court. Yeah, I mean, I don't think foul trouble has been much of an issue so far for the guards this season. So hopefully that doesn't continue because I don't really see any solution if you know if you're in a tournament game and Rashid Suleiman and Melo Trimble get in foul trouble. Now, granted, you know Trimble had two fouls tonight, Suleiman had three, so that's not like an extreme example. But if both of them are in foul trouble and you get increased Jared Nickens playing time and Brantley has to play more. I think Maryland's in big trouble, but also in regards to Nickens, I think he just, his shot selection was clearly not great. You know, lately he'd been taking a lot of contested threes today. He got some wide open threes, which are well, obviously better. And I think if, I don't know if Nickens just keeps taking like open shots, not taking shots that are contested, uh, I think he's like if he can make open threes, that's huge because that just enables the um, it lets Trimble and Suleiman drive a little bit more. And if their defender helps, then that's pretty good. Dave, do you think we're going to ever see Mark Turgeon get away from the if you have two fouls in the first half, you're being rooted to the bench, especially in a tournament game? Because that's something I bet we're going to ask if guards get in foul trouble again. And I will assume we're going to see that one or two more times in big games. Do you think that's something Mark Turgeon is married to, or is it something that he can move away from? Yeah, I'm sure it probably depends on the situation. It depends on what player you're talking about. It depends on what team Maryland's playing against. Um, I think he he knows that there are certain situations where he can probably have a guy on the bench and not be too worried or know that his, the rest of his team's going to keep him in the game. And there might be other 
situations against certain opponents or if you're in a bigger higher profile game where he's going to have to gamble more and have a, a guy out there with two fouls playing more minutes i think it all depends on what the situation is i don't think he's super married to that but at the same time he's you know in situations like tonight when someone picks up a second foul like that so early in the half you really want to be able to have that player available later in the game, especially when they're a reliable scorer like scorer, excuse me, like Robert Carter and Rashid Suleiman can be. In a game like this, it doesn't matter necessarily as much, but if it's a tournament game and it's one and done, I think you got to take the risk. But that's something we can get into at the time comes. Speaking of the front court, this was a game when Maryland just totally dominated. It's one where Nebraska didn't have the horses to even really compete. And we saw that with 13 blocks, which is not a Maryland record. It's a season high. And I doubt they're going to get anywhere near that again this year. Ryan, was it just the Maryland bigs were just so dominant because Nebraska can't match up with them in the interior? Or they were playing incredibly well, too. Uh, typically, Diamond Stone had one of his better games. DeMonte Dodd had some blocks as well. What was it about the bigs tonight that made them so successful? I mean, I really think it was just it was too much to handle um, I was looking at their, high, what was it, effective, or average height. Um, Nebraska is 161st, and Maryland is second in the country. And, I mean, there was just not, really not much that uh, Nebraska could do. There's no one on Nebraska who could, like, even challenge Maryland on when Nebraska is on offense. And... I don't know. They did do a pretty good job on Robert Carter, though, when he was in the game, which wasn't that often. He tried to back people down, and they'd help on him, and he'd have to get the, rid of the ball pretty quickly. Yeah, but when that happened, DeMonte died, Diamond Stone, Jake Lehman, they were all available. Even Michael Chikoski had a couple of moments True. in the game as well. I, this was another Diamond Stone game where you just like, boy, oh boy, Maryland is lucky to have him. Without him, obviously, this is a completely different team, but with him, Dave... How special of a player is Diamond Stone, and are we really appreciating just how good he is? I mean, he's so good. There was one play tonight where he got the ball in the low post, and uh, Nebraska was in a zone D, and he made a move towards the basket, I think over his right shoulder. And the guy that was defending him and two other guys all zoned in on him at the same time, and he was able still to work the ball up and get a bus bucket. And I, it's, you just don't see guys that have that skill set as much anymore. And um, Maryland probably hasn't seen a guy like that since Jordan Williams was pretty good. Um, Lonnie Baxter was really good. Um, but it's it's something that is enjoyable to watch, and people should probably appreciate it because he probably will not be here next season, especially if he keeps doing things like he did tonight. He's getting better. Have you ever seen a big man with the kind of touch that he has? He has a really good touch around the basket. Um, and, his, and, and he's improving his game, too. He made, he made a mid-range jumper today, too. And if he can work that into his game, I mean, that's just all the better for him, especially from a NBA perspective. At least in college, that would make him practically unstoppable. I don't think there are going to be many teams in the country that are going to be able to guard Diamond Stone the way that some teams have. And remember thinking about that Georgetown game where he barely played and everybody was like, uh-oh. Yeah, it was worth the wait, kids. And now it is time to awaken the monster, the comment section, because we're going to talk about Jake Lehman again. 
and this is a trend we'll get to when we really focus on Iowa and Ohio State. I might put a klaxon in here as well. I might put an alarm sound. You'll hear that uh, if I actually did put it in when the podcast is released. But right now, as we are recording this, nobody knows if I'm going to do that or not. And that's probably good for your ears. Ryan, Jake Lehman did not have a lot of points tonight. It wasn't one of his better games offensively, but the buckets he hit were critical. And his defense is still ridiculously good. What is left to say about Jake Lehman that any of us on this website, particularly Mr. Allen Tuck, haven't already said? Uh, I'm giving Matt this shout out there. Um, well, he's been the one on the bandwagon. He's been driving the bandwagon all year. I think so he I and Alex, he and Alex have been, you know, co-driving the bandwagon. I've been in the back seat, you know, on I've the bandwagon, not driving Jake it. I've, I've been um, with everything they've said, and then the last three games have, you know, if you were having doubts about Layman, you probably be having doubts anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, not. I don't really have much to say that, you know, Alex and Matt haven't said already. One thing that was good to see from him tonight, he only had six points, but he got them all on the inside. He didn't, he only, he was 0 for 2 from 3, but he was 3 of 7 from the field, and he had some nice, like, he had some nice moves down low, and even when he'd get the ball, even drew, he even drove to the basket a couple times. Granted, was against the tiny Nebraska team, but that was pretty good to see we don't get to see layman inside too often because maryland's such a big team and they haven't played on the perimeter so that is uh i don't know it's just another thing to look out for going into the going into the end of the season as we transition to talking about iowa and ohio state let's talk about maryland's overall team defense which dave in the last three games i don't know if it's been this good this season i don't know if it's been this good under mark turgeon I certainly don't remember a stretch where Maryland played as good a defense as they had against Iowa, Ohio State, Nebraska. Is there any that you can remember? Not that I can remember, uh, at least under Turgeon. Um, they've, they've played extremely, extremely well, as you said. I, I really think it's helped them uh, stay in games, and it's really um, allowed them to overcome other problems that they've been having, like not being able to score effectively on offense or overcoming turnovers and things like that. And, you know, that's something that's going to be really important for them uh, as the season progresses, especially once you get into tournament time. And um, it's just a very important skill set that this team has. And it's one of those things that you're not necessarily going to see in a box score. I mean, you did tonight with the 13 blocks that they have, which was, again, incredible. And um, Matt Allen Tuck let me know that Stone's eight blocks in the game ranked seventh on Maryland's all-time list, tied with a bunch of other guys. But it's a pretty incredible performance on the defensive end. And if they can keep doing that and cut down their turnovers, like we said earlier, then they're going to be a really hard team to stop. Let's transition to a game that happened seven days ago, if you're listening to this on Thursday, which most of you will. Iowa, this was a huge game at the time. It still is a pretty big game for Maryland now looking at their resume. It's their best win of the season. And it might be one of their most impressive wins of the season. And I'm going to contest you, Dave, on something. You can see how good Maryland played defensively in the box score because Jared Utah had nine points. It's the only time this season he was held in single digits in points. And a lot of that was due to Jake Lehman, who was the player of the game last Thursday night. Ryan, I know it's a while back, so you got to go back into your memory, drag everything back from that game, but <sighs> that Iowa game was still one of the better games Maryland has played all season. I think it's their best game that they've played all season, considering who it was against and the player that they completely shut down. Yeah, I mean, 
Jake Lehman, that may that may be his defining performance of the season, and he was only defining performances. Here, sorry to interrupt you. Just particularly on defense, I have a little anecdote you'll all like to hear in just a second. But continue. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, he was only one of eight from three that game, but I feel like you see a lot of time when someone's putting in the amount of effort that he was putting in on the defensive end, guarding the other team's best player and one and a player of the year candidate in Jared Utoff that, you know, that can sometimes hurt you on offense. But, you know, his defense was just, like, his defense is so much improved and so unexpectedly improved, and that's why I think this could be kind of his defining game of the season. But um, other than that, yeah, I think it was definitely, I mean, it had to be one of Maryland's better games of the season because they wouldn't have had, if they didn't have a good game, they wouldn't beat Iowa. But it was still another game where Mello Trimble was only, I mean, he only took seven shots in the game, six of which for, were from three. He only made two of them. Um, he had six th- points in the first half, and then the last five came down the stretch when he was hitting free throws. Yeah. Maryland won that game without Melo Trimble doing much of anything. And he wasn't even assisting in the same way he had in other games, you know. I mean, we've seen Melo Trimble be impactful, but they were a lot of assists and setting other guys up. In this game, he wasn't as impactful nearly as he could have been. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He was impactful. Just because he didn't have an, as many assists doesn't mean he wasn't a good passer. But oh, his, uh, his presence is impactful, but he's not impacting games the same the way he did against Ohio State and the way he did against Nebraska. Um, yeah, I mean, kinds of impact. Yeah, and he didn't. It's it's always tough to say with this team because you know different players are hot on different nights, so you don't really and you don't really know if you know it is really Mello Trimble's fault, and it very well may have been, but. Uh, you know, Carter and Suleiman were really the stars in that game, which is unsurprising. They both had 17 points. So, yeah, I mean, that that was just, I mean, the biggest thing about the game is just the tournament resume because now Maryland has a marquee win, even if they end up being ranked higher than Iowa at the end of the season. Oh, we saw last year that where you're ranked in the polls doesn't mean anything when it comes to where you're seated in the tournament. Maryland was in the top 10 and got a four seed, which was a bit bunk, and this year that could easily happen because everybody in college basketball is so even. Here's the anecdote that I want to say, and I wish Matt Allentuck was here because he'd actually like this, but maybe he'll respond later. Uh, I was walking into the game, and behind me and the person I was working with uh, was a San Antonio Spurs scout, and he was like, and we asked him, who are you here to see? And he said, anybody. He <laughs> joked, and he joked, we're picking so low in the draft, I'm looking for any sort of diamond in the rough. And now that I'm remembering Jake Lehman's performance, I'm starting to think, he, re- he could be a San Antonio Spurs pick. I could see Greg Popovich putting him in a rotational guy, 6'9", with that length, who can shoot from the perimeter and is that good defensively. Doesn't he seem like a San Antonio Spurs player, just a value pick later in the draft? I'm not an NBA guy, but that just seems to be something that is destined to happen. I don't know. Anybody agree with that? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, as, a, as another non-NBA expert, which is always good, uh, anyone's so going to on this podcast. Anyone's going to fit in on the Spurs. Like, yeah, the, the the description you just gave of Jake Lehman makes it sound good, but that also makes him sound good for every other team. So I don't know. I don't know, but he seems like a guy that Greg Popovich could turn into a very good from a very good college player to a very good NBA player because of his skill set. I don't know. Matt, maybe that's the, maybe that's me. Matt was the Spurs scout, an older guy, really tall. I don't remember. Yeah. I think he was shorter than me, and I'm about 5'10", so, oh. well, it, it was something. But that was a little bit interesting. He was saying, well, were you going to watch Jared Utah? I think the player that shined out the shone the most in that game was Jake Lehman, but that was an incredibly impressive game. Dave, you have any thoughts on the Iowa game? 
I mean, it was a great win for for Maryland. Um, I was now up to number one, and Ken Pomeroy's latest ranking. Chester Times his favorite, Ken Palm. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I think it was a, a fantastic win for them. Um, just looking at Maryland's profile, um, you know, they really needed a a win like that um, if they want to continue to improve their seeding uh, as the season progresses here you know they're gonna have an opportunity to pick up a couple more of those wins and the biggest obstacle they're facing aside from having to win those games is that teams ahead of them already have uh, a number of those wins on their resume i think iowa for example has something like seven top 50 rpi wins already on their resume so maryland's gonna have to win a lot of games down the stretch if they want to continue to improve their seeding and right now i think they're probably a three seed or so um maybe or a two. two but i don't know if um, it really matters this year because everybody in college basketball is so even i've mentioned that before but i still think that holds true but i guess there's a there's a bit of give and take on this because while other teams have chances to get more key wins all the time they could still end up with seven losses in maryland let's say they end up with four in the regular season, they might not have as many quality wins, but they're not going to have nearly as many losses. And they don't have as many chances to lose sort of trap games, because when you think about it, their next road game is at Minnesota. If they lose that, then there should be a lot of concerns. Their, their three remaining conference road games are Minnesota, Purdue, and Indiana. And there's no shame in losing in the last two. There is shame in losing in the first. But we'll, we'll get to Purdue. That's Maryland's next game in a second. We should transition to the Ohio State game, if you don't mind, because I felt that game was very similar to the Iowa game in terms of how it played out. First half, Maryland shot the ball very, very well, ran some great offense. In the second half, they did not play very well on offense, but they were locked down on defense, and it helped them win the game. I think that game was a little less memorable because it was against a less good team. I remember a lot less about Ohio State than I do Iowa, but Ryan, that was a tricky game, and I was worried about it considering it was coming after a big win. There's always a chance for a letdown because it's college basketball and it's 18 to 21 year olds. Uh, that was an impressive win in its own right for Maryland, considering the last two times they went to Value City Arena, they got destroyed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to compare the Ohio State team though that destroyed Maryland the past couple of years to this one because well, obviously, I mean, just like the amount of talent on Ohio, on Ohio State's team clearly is not at just. Not as good as Maryland's, but um, yeah, it was it was weird because I I mean I don't know I think a lot of us knew that Maryland wasn't winning it wasn't going to be a ridiculous win like it was last time uh, you know the thir- the thirty five point uh, victory when they, Maryland scored a hundred outrageous but um, I've never seen a team quit like that Ohio State team did that Saturday yeah um, yeah I mean I don't know Maryland didn't play obviously as well as it could have Mello Trimble had 20 points and a lot of them were scored at the end he I mean he's like he was two for 10 from three in that game he's really his three-pointers have been scary except for today today finally rebounded and in that game he hit two ones at the end I don't know it in kind of like the Nebraska game it was a game that you was like you're like wow this is close but you still didn't feel like Maryland's gonna lose but it felt like it should have been more Although I don't know if the Ohio State game felt quite as much as Nebraska did, Dave, but I want to talk about threes for a while. Maryland did not hit a three in the second half against Iowa, and they took a bunch. They took them a while into the second half against Ohio State to start hitting threes. They hit a couple tonight. Three-point shooting has not been quite as good lately, and Maryland is a team, as we know, when they shoot the lights out, obviously nobody's beating them. 
but when they can't shoot, they have some issues. Uh, should we be worried about what's going on with Maryland behind the arc? It was definitely better tonight, but it's still something somewhat of a concern, I'd say. Yeah, I just think they need to take uh, good shots from beyond the arc. I mean, there's some times when you're going to get good looks and you're going to miss, but there's other times where you know, if you're shooting, chucking up a three early in the shot clock, then you know that's something that you're going to want to avoid. Uh, they were 7 of 16 from beyond the arc tonight, which is pretty good, 43, almost 44%. Um, so, you know, if they can be smart about it, I think I think it'll be fine. Um, you're going to have nights when certain guys aren't going to be able to make things and other nights when uh, no one's going to be able to miss, like Ohio State. Um, it certainly does a lot for their offense when Maryland is hitting those shots. I mean, it, if, if they're hitting those shots out there, then you know, you're going to have to pick your poison of whether you're going to stop that or you're going to try to stop Maryland inside. So either you're going to have a bunch of points from Maryland's front court or you're going to have a bunch of three-pointers raining down on you. So um, I, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. Um, they just, again, need to be smart about what they're doing. I mean, we've seen Maryland be able to pick their poison again. We've talked about Maryland able to win games when Melo Trimble isn't doing everything. That was Iowa. We've seen games where he's taken over and won. We've seen games where guys who can score crazy numbers like Robert Carter tonight against Nebraska. I don't think he had a shot from the field, did he? I'm pretty sure he did. Let's. I, at least uh, he was o- he was over three. You're right. He was over three and four for four, four from the points. line. Four for four from the line. And Robert Carter had double figure had scored in double figures in every game up until this point, but three, I think. And Maryland's still able to win. Jake Lehman has six. He's in double figures most of the time. Jared Dickens scores in double figures tonight. Like that's just how crazy deep Maryland is when you think of scores. And uh, we talked about the absence of Dion Wiley quite a bit in this show. Somebody posited how good would Maryland be if they had Dion Wiley. We've talked about this before, but Nights like this are when it really becomes evident that Deion Wiley is missed, and I don't think any of us expected Maryland to miss Deion Wiley as much as they now do. And considering they've with him, Maryland's the best team in the country if they had him healthy this year. Yeah, I think you can definitely make an argument for that. Maryland's They're got certainly some... the deepest team in the country if they have him this year. Yeah, Maryland's got great uh, front court depth, and if they had Wiley still, then um, I think they would be just really, really hard to stop. Um, as we talked about earlier, when if Trimble or Suleiman get into foul trouble, then Maryland, you know, as a team, can get into trouble. Uh, if they had Wiley still, then that would obviously help a lot with that and um, helping to kind of solve that problem and give them that extra person who can really reliably score and be a ball handler. So he's, he's definitely missed, um, and I think it just – shows again, you know, where would this team be without Rashid Suleiman this season? He's been uh, such an important part of um, Maryland's success so far. Um, not necessarily putting up, you know, 20 points every single night, but he's another very reliable, capable ball handler, which I think is uh, was a little bit surprising to some people coming into the season to see how well he was doing with that. And he's just been really... Uh, vital to this team in a lot of different ways. Even when he's not scoring, because there are games when he does not score very often, and then there are games when he scores in bunches. Maybe an issue, but that's not something we have to worry about now. There are a couple games for us to analyze. Well, really one, and the other 
we can analyze why it exists. Purdue on Saturday is going to be a fascinating game. I came into the season thinking this was going to be Maryland's biggest game at home. It still might end up being one of their biggest, but it's now not the biggest because of Iowa. Purdue has been playing really well. They've had some up-and-down moments this season. Got a swept by Iowa. Uh, they've had a couple of other losses. I think they lost to Butler at one point this year. Purdue, when you're talking about matchups on the interior, you're not going to get much better than Purdue and Maryland in the country this season with all of the talent Purdue has inside and all the talent Maryland has inside. But the difference between Purdue and Iowa is Iowa has a very talented backcourt, which Purdue does not. And Maryland, Ryan, that's something they're going to have to exploit if they want to beat Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be another great learning experience for Diamond Stone going up against, you know, uh, Purdue. And Toss and Swanigan. Three-headed monster, exactly. And, um, you know, it, what's good about that is that if Diamond Stone does well, you can keep feeding him the ball in the post. But if he doesn't, you're still going to have Tremble and Suleiman outside. Um, yeah, Maryland is a team that I feel like matches up pretty well with Purdue because their big men should be able to handle Purdue's big men because, I mean, Tchaikovsky, Dodd, and Stone, that's a pretty good defensive trio. Stone's come a long way. I know we already talked about this earlier. Stone's come a long way defensively. He had eight blocks tonight, and obviously blocks don't tell the entire story, but that is pretty hard to ignore. And, I mean, Dodd and Tchaikovsky are pretty much only in there for their defense right now, so I I don't know. I, I like that matchup for Maryland. How much do you see? We've seen sometimes now with Maryland now kind of switching their lineups a bit. They've gone to two centers a couple of times, Stone and Dodd, which is not something we had seen all that often before. Dare I say, do we see all three centers on the floor at once? I don't think Purdue will ever play all three of their big – they might have to because they don't have anybody in the backcourt that's really that threatening. Do we see all three big men at once on the floor on Saturday? I don't think we do, but maybe it, for the first time, maybe we do. Yeah, I would say no. Yeah. I don't know. It would be surprising. Fun. It would be surprising, but I've been surprised by Mark Turgeon and his lineups already this season, so who knows. Yeah, it would certainly be interesting. Uh, Dave, what do you think about this game? I think Maryland, as Ryan said, matches up pretty well with Purdue just because they can match them on the inside and they just have a better backcourt. And, of course, they're at home and Maryland doesn't lose home games anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I mean, I'm excited to see like a Stone versus A.J. Hammonds matchup in the low post and see how that goes. And um, Yeah, I, I think you know, they do match up pretty well with Purdue. I think you know if, if Purdue had a little more backcourt depth, they'd be a team very similar to, to Maryland. And um, Maryland, I think, is better because of their backcourt depth, but I think a lot of teams aren't able to match up in the frontcourt with Purdue. But Maryland is probably one of the few teams that can do so and might even have more depth than Purdue does. Well, let's be honest, Iowa can too, and Iowa's beaten Purdue twice, which I think has got a lot to do with Iowa's backcourt is better than Purdue's backcourt, and they can match up on the interior. And uh, that happened both in West Lafayette and it happened in Iowa City. Uh, I think Maryland wins this game, again, not just because of the matchups and how Maryland can match up with Purdue. I think that not only is it a home game, I think this is one of the games that Maryland, you know, they get up for every game, but sometimes they look sluggish. This is a game that they're going to get up for, considering they know it's a big game. They know it's an opponent that they have to uh, beat and a style that they have to be able to overcome when you're playing in the tournament. So uh, what are we thinking about the game on Saturday? Maryland wins? Oh, yeah. I think. I think Maryland wins. Um, 
I, I, think way, Mar- I think Maryland could just go to Purdue players and say, you guys lost to Illinois, who had to take Rutgers to triple overtime to win. That is and true. They'll just have to concede on the spot. But uh, that would be, um, I'd love to see that. Just a concession on the floor on Saturday. That would be very interesting. But in all seriousness, I, mean, I think I think this is going to be a, a, a good game. I don't think it's going to be a, a super blowout, but Maryland has proven that you know they're really hard to beat at home um, and in close games and in close games so i think this game at, at maybe maryland wins by 10 but you know, it could i would not be surprised if it was closer than that um i think it's going to be a, a fun game and but i think maryland does come away with a a win and pushes their home winning streak to what 26 26, and it would be 16 straight in-conference home wins. They have not lost a Big Ten home game yet, which is pretty insane when you think about it. Now, the the quality of opponent hasn't been great, but that's still very, very good. It's one of the longest home winning streaks in the country now that the longest home winning streak in the country, Arizona's, uh, has ended, courtesy of Oregon. Thanks, Ducks. Uh, And then Maryland plays on Tuesday at 6 o'clock against a D2 team, and I have no idea why this is a thing. Ryan, explain to me why this is a thing. Well, someone else may be able to correct me, but I believe it's just Maryland scheduled. Maryland agreed to play Bowie State, and then the rest of their out-of-conference schedule filled up, so they just said, all right, whatever, we'll just play them later in the season when we need a breather in Big Ten play. And, uh, yeah, it should should be fun. I can't wait. I'm, I'm covering that game. I might be covering it without Alex and Matt, so it should be uh, I'm calling that game, and I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do. Uh, it, it should be fun. We should be able to have some fun with it, I think. Uh, I, I It's at 6, so nobody, like, Xfinity Center is usually sold out, but the games are at 7. And we know DC traffic is quite horrible. The game's at 6 because there's a BTN game at 8. Uh, this game would have not been on any sort of television unless BTN came in and said, oh, wow, this is a really good Maryland team, even against the D2 team. We want to show them on TV. Uh, Dave, is there anything you want to see from that game? Uh, or is it just the idea of it's kind of a breather between Purdue and Wisconsin? I I want to see uh, Brantley get significant minutes and try to find yes. some sort of form again. I mean, he I, I a couple of weeks ago he had what seemed like a, a breakout game and showed an ability to score, which I think you know we hadn't really seen all season. And ever since then he hasn't really been seeing the court at all. And it's been Turgeon's imaginary doghouse, and we don't know why. Well, yeah, I mean, all I can say about that is that Mark Turgeon is a hell of a lot smarter about basketball than I am. So I or any default... of us commenting. So, I, I, so I, I will always default to him on such things, and we're not seeing practice and everything else like that. But, you know, this is an opportunity for them to get minutes for guys that need it and maybe for them to try – certain sets and certain things uh, against another team, not just against himself in practice um, and try to iron out some additional problems they've been having before they go into their stretch run here to finish out the season. Yeah, it's it. I would definitely say that's basically what you're going to take from this game is Maryland can use this to iron out some kinks and get some players hot. Let's go for a few questions or thoughts we have. Our friend Noah Niederhofer, who I should get back on the podcast at some point. Sorry, Noah asks, this is for much farther down the line, which game does Maryland need to win more, in air quotes, at Purdue or the finale at Indiana? I I really don't think there's a game that Maryland needs to win more, 
Because I don't think they're going to win both. As long as they win one, I think they'll end up being fine, right? Yeah, um, I think just whichever. They just need to win at home. Can't lose at home. That's kind of the only thing. Um, I think they very well could win both of them, but a loss to either team definitely wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Maryland's home schedule is Purdue, Bowie State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Illinois. Yeah. Purdue's the toughest team left. I don't foresee Maryland losing any games at home the rest of the way. Their road games left are Minnesota, uh, Purdue, and Indiana. I wonder if I'm missing one, but I don't think I am. If I am, uh, somebody can correct nope, me. Nope, those are the last three ones, Minnesota, so, Purdue, Indiana. If they uh, lose I, to Minnesota, you have the right to be alarmed, but if they lose at Purdue or Indiana, there's no shame in that. Also hosting Wisconsin. I mentioned that. Okay. Yeah, good. so there, there, there's no shame in, in any of those. But that would be a good road win because Maryland's two – their best wins are going to be home games and UConn at a neutral site. It would help if they had a quality road win on their resume. And winning at Purdue or Indiana would be a quality road win. That's about – I think that's really all that there is to say about that. Looking at any other questions, Tim Anderson mentions, you know who also didn't beat barely beat Nebraska? Michigan State. It's a good point. It's a good point, I have to say. I mean, uh, people have to also remember that when you're talking about a road game and you have a top five team coming in, you're always going to get that opponent's best shot, so to speak. They're going to probably play a little bit harder. They're going to be amped up. They're going to have the crowd behind them. And Maryland's been facing that all season. I think they have learned that you know they're going to have to not make a lot of mistakes if they want to win. They've been fortunate in that they've been able to overcome some of those mistakes, but they're going to continue to get um, a team's best effort most of the time when they're facing them, just because they're, they have a higher profile this year. I feel like last year they were able to somewhat sneak up on some teams because people did not expect them to be as good as they were. Their biggest games last season, the ones where they might have had trouble on the road, they were all at home. I mean, Wisconsin last year, I don't know if Maryland goes in and beat that Wisconsin team on the road, but at home, they were able to do that. I, I completely agree with you, Dave. Uh, Brian, you agree? I, I would bet you do. Yeah, I'm all in. Okay, good. Uh, quickly, before we go, I have no idea if any of you are going to be on the recruiting podcast, so we'll get a little chance to say your piece on either of those on those things from today. Dave, just a quick summary of what you thought. Again, there's going to be a big recruiting podcast coming in a couple of days. <laughs> don't know who's going to be on it, but we'll talk much more in depth about everything that happened yesterday, today whatever the hell the day is. It's now past midnight when we're recording this, so who the hell cares? But Dave, do you have any quick thoughts on uh, National Signing Day? Um, I think Maryland's class in the composite rankings finished 42nd, I think. Um, considering what DJ Durkin had to do in the not very uh, long period that he had to work with, um, he essentially kept this class together for the most part. Um, I don't know if Randy Etzel and Mike Loxley were still here, if Dwayne Haskins would still be here or not. He seemed pretty uh, intent on going to Ohio State, and that was seems to be something that he has wanted to do for a long time, so it's certainly possible he could have always intended to go there. Um, but overall, aside from him, he, he really kept this class together, and I think people need to remember that so much when it comes to recruiting is building relationships with these recruits and with their families. And Durkin didn't have a lot of time to do that. So what he was able to do, I think, is good. And he was able to bring in 
uh, a lot of other people and even have people considering Maryland that would not have been doing so, such as Paul, even though he ended up at Alabama, you know, he was back in the conversation and no one would have really expected that. So I think if he has another year under his belt, so to speak, as the head man at Maryland, that, you know, this time next year, Maryland could be looking at a really good signing uh, for their class. And he, he did everything he needed to do with his first class year. Well, we saw there's an article out, I don't think it was, it was the Baltimore Sun, I think, talking about Terrell Hall's recruitment, and he said some pretty damning things about Randy Edsel. It'll be in a test of whatever our morning thing is called. I completely forgot what it was. Maryland Sorry. Minute. Thank you. I should know that since I work here, but of course I forget. Oh, well. Sorry about that, guys. And sorry to the people who write it. Uh, Ryan, do you have any quick thoughts on signing day? Yeah, I mean... I think it was going to be hard for Durkin to get, you know, some some unbelievable <laughs> recruiting class. And, you know, really, it's still all just rested on whether he could get Haskins and Keandre Jones to stay. And, yeah, it seemed like it seemed like Haskins was really just attached to Mike Loxley. And once Loxley was gone, Durkin didn't really have a chance. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like, oh, this recruiting class was great, but uh you know, it's his first it one. It wasn't as bad as some other teams in the Big Ten. And it also, he's he's betting high on some under-recruited player or some players he hopes are under-recruited. So it's possible that in a few years, you know, we look back on this and we say, oh, uh, you know, Deion Goldborn, 200-pound defensive end is really good. Uh, who knows? That is a teaser for recruiting podcasts, which will come out very shortly. Hopefully you enjoy that. We got a lot of mileage out of this show considering the time and when it happened. Three basketball games will do that. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. You are now officially off the clock. Go to bed. Go have a drink. Go do something to relax. <laughs> well do. Your co-editor sorely needed it. I hope you sober in the morning. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you for joining us. I don't think you had as much to do as Ryan and Alex did today. You have uh, other things just, besides that. I was just up early doing stuff, but Alex and Ryan get... Uh, 99.9% of the credit for <laughs> everything that happened today. They did some heroic work. Long well, Dave, Dave, Dave heroically covered the uh, the basketball game, yeah. which was very, which went down to the wire, which is always fun. Yeah, that that those are the worst kind of games. And I heard somebody interrupting our recording, so that means it's the perfect time to get the hell out. We've already stayed our well too long. Thank you very much. Recruiting Podcast is coming shortly. Thank you to Dave and Ryan. Thank you for listening. And, of course, go Terps. Go Terps. Go Terps.